My name is Nate Stevens. Um, been attending here since about 2006. Uh, today we're reading from Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You can go ahead and be seated. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Good. Y'all enjoying all this heat and getting through the summer? I was like, hey, tomorrow's August 1st, but it, no, it's not letting up yet, is it? And so, man, gee, need to, need, we were, last night, uh, Lydia was all hopeful because it looked like it was going to rain and we got a little sprinkle, but it wasn't enough to wet everything, so she had to still go out and water plants and all and do all that. So uh, we're, ready for, we're ready for some cooler temperatures this morning. Um, this morning, I'm going to be honest with you, we're going to do, do a little bit of a exercise and somehow my volume came up, so hopefully, oh yeah. Um, so we're going to do a little exercise. We're gonna, you're going to need to do your uh, scripture. You're going to have to have your Bible ready. If you're looking on a phone, you better get ready to do this. So you, Keep up. We're all going to be, we're going to be in the book of Romans. Uh, our key passage is going to be Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 1 and 2 uh, this week as we continue in our series of the five solas. We're going to be talking about faith alone this morning. Um, so as we get started, go ahead and be ready. Uh, I'm hoping to work you out a little bit today. Uh, this Bible study, that's what we're here for, right? To learn God's word, to know it, to understand it. So that's what we're going to be, be doing. So as we get started, I know he just prayed, but I got to pray a lot of times to uh, just kind of get things uh, squared away. So let's take a moment and let's pray. Father God, we come before you. Um, Father, we come humbly. We come with contrite hearts. We come, Father, and, and ask from you, Father, to speak to us, your people. And Father, in the midst of all the noise of the week and the noise of our world, the uncertainties, the unknowns. We ask, Father, that you would just quiet them and that your spirit would move among us and that, Father, you would teach us. That, Father, you would open up the truth of your word to us. That, Father, you would speak to us in our hearts to show us those things that we need to grow in. Father, we ask, Lord, that, that you would just... You would just work in those areas. And Father, there's some areas in our lives sometimes we don't want to touch them. We don't, Father. But I pray that, Lord, as, as faithful as you are by the might of your hand, that you would and that you would speak to us. And even sometimes it hurts. And sometimes, Father, we need encouragement. Sometimes, Father, we need strength. Sometimes, Father, our eyes just need to be open to the our own blindness, our own uncertainties. So Father, just spirit, let your spirit do that. As I always pray, Father, I just, I pray you go past my own shortcomings and inabilities, my own sins. And Father, that you would speak to us. We are opening up your word, Father. We're opening up the text. So God, speak to us. Let it not just be the accumulation of, of our ideas and our thoughts, but let us, Father, let it be your spirit that moves and speaks to us. These things we ask, Father, we ask in faith, we ask in confidence, 
knowing that your will will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are here this morning and you believe that you can be saved by works or even keep your salvation by works, you must ask this question. How much is enough? How much is enough? Like how many times do I need to go to church? If you think somehow that you're gonna find favor from God by what you do and the works in your life that you would come to a place of, of righteous standing before God, you have to ask the question, how much is enough? How many times do I need to pray? How many times do I need to read my Bible? How many times do I need to feed the poor? How many times, do, and it just goes on and on and on. How much money do I give to the church? Ask this question, how many sins are too many? There's a saying I came across in the last couple of weeks, and it, it says, religion is about do. It's about what we do. The gospel is about what is done. The gospel is about what is done. It is finished. And so I want to make it clear this morning. I know that if we were to look in the papers, or well, I guess we don't have papers anymore, but online, we're in that we're in that category of religion. And yet I would venture to say that to me this morning, this isn't about religion. This is about a relationship with an almighty God who from everlasting to everlasting, King of kings, Lord of lords, the creator of all things, he is ruling most high, who sent his son through his death, burial, and resurrection that he would call us to himself and by faith we receive his grace into our life. It's about a relationship with him. And it's only possible through the gospel. So we've been looking at the five solas. And if you will, go ahead and put that up here, what we've been covering. When you talk about solo in Latin, it means alone or only. So here I've, I put these up and we've been kind of going through them systematically. We looked at scripture alone. What we decide, determine in the scripture alone section is that this is objective truth. Whether anybody else believes it or not, whether anybody else holds to it or not, it is truth. It isn't truth because I put my faith in it. It's truth because it is objective truth in and of itself. It is truth. It is the final authority and reference for us in our lives because through the scriptures, God has made himself known and he's told us about his son and these things we know because of the scriptures. So scriptures alone. If we didn't have scriptures, we would have you know, a couple hundred people in here this morning or, or so and we would all have different ideas about how to get to God and who would be right. Well, that's, that's just a horrible way to live and try to seek God. But God has made it known to us through his scriptures. So we have scriptures alone. The next thing we looked at was Christ alone. We saw that only through Christ is there one to be saved. I remember I was working with this guy who was a, a Stoic uh, philosopher. Uh, we were putting in sprinkler systems. And what was, uh, what was my nature often was when I found somebody out like that, I found it very interesting to engage in him the conversation, so I was always trying to witness to him. And I remember this one particular day, he said to me, he said, Greg, it wouldn't it be nice that after we realize we've all gotten to heaven, that there was many ways to God? And I said to him, I said, well, if that's true, I'm not going to be there. And he looked at me kind of strange, and I said, the one who I follow, Jesus, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what did he say? And no one cometh to the Father but by me. There's not another path. There isn't another way. It's Christ alone, him alone, and only through him 
Are we, do we come to Christ? He is the only one by which we can be saved. There's no other name under heaven by which people can be saved. None. And he finished the work. He sat down. He completed once and for all sacrifice. It is Christ alone. The third one we looked at, we looked at last week, grace alone. We looked at Ephesians chapter 2. We saw the condition. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. But what's those famous two words? My favorite two words in the scriptures? But God. Yeah, I mean, but God, who is rich in mercy, have made us alive. Did he not? Praise God. It's, it's grace that, that he's given us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. You didn't do it. It's not by your own doing. It is a gift of God. And we learned that last week, that we were we are saved by grace. And today we're going to look at faith alone. We're going to look in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, having been justified by faith. That faith is the means in which we receive his grace. It's an it's amazing, amazing truth that we understand the beauty of the gospel. And that if we sought favor any other way, any other way to see, seek favor, it will come up short. You may have your own plan, your own way of trying to get favor with God. And if it's any other way than, the, than these things that we have been talking about, it's going to come up short and it'll come up short every single time. Because when we look at these, these are really about the gospel. And the next week, we're going to, I can't wait till next week too, uh, to the glory of God alone, to his glory. Uh, I hear today because of the glory of God. I look forward to the day when my hope in his glory, that day that I will spend with him, in eternity and be in his presence. That glory, the glory of our God, to him be the glory and the praise forever. Whenever we try to seek to find favor through our own actions and our own ways, our own means, ultimately it is a works involving faith in ourself. Whenever we put our faith in ourself, self will never prove enough. It will never prove enough. I know what our culture's saying. I know the things that we're being told, how we're being told to look into ourselves, right? That we're to be, that, we're to, that the essence of, of life and the truth is looking in ourselves. That is false. It will never be enough. You will never be able to do enough. You must be, believe in something beyond yourselves. You must believe in something that addresses the greatest problem of humanity that we looked at last week, but God. I don't know how else to say that, dear people. I don't know how else to, I pray often, God, is there a clear way to describe this? Because in the culture that we, we live in, we are told what is, you know, the great great self, self-esteem and all those things to believe in yourself. Now, should we have confidence? Absolutely. We have confidence in the Lord. There is nothing we can't accomplish without him. But dear people of God, if we put our confidence in ourselves, it will come short every time as it relates to being right with God. Um, that, that really, if you don't understand that, we need, we need to grow in that in our faith. That's the amazing truth of faith alone, that we're, joy, we're justified by faith that we see in Romans chapter five, verse one, because we are saved by grace through faith, our, that when we place our faith in Jesus, we are saved. It's the means by which we uh, receive his goodness, his mercies, his grace. 
Because without faith alone, there is no Christian faith. Without faith, we do not learn to walk in the work of Christ. We do not learn to walk in the grace of Christ. We do not learn to walk in the righteousness of Christ. We are told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, what does it tell us? Without faith, it is what? It's impossible to please God. It is something that we have to exercise and understand in our lives that it's by faith. It's by faith and faith alone. We never accomplish it through our actions, our work, our favor with God is found in our faith in his righteousness and what he has accomplished. As Nate read for us so well in chapter five and verse one, I wanted to just look at the first phrase for a second. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, I wanna stop there. Notice he says, since we have been justified. It's not that we are being justified. It's not, that, it's not that we're going to be justified. He's saying we have been justified. But I think a key word in this first phrase that we need to take time and look at, where I'm going to wear you out for the next 10 minutes here, is the word therefore. We need to understand what Paul has done up to this point and why does he come to a place where he says therefore since, and with such confidence here, since we have been justified by faith. How can he say that with such determination, with such confidence? We need to understand his argument. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to need them out. We're going to go back to Romans and we're going to go back in chapter one of Romans. If you have your Bibles, you're going to have to, I know you can kind of either go up or whatever, but you're going to have to do this. We need to study people. We need to be students of God's word. I could throw these all on slides and we can go a lot quicker. I understand that. But you need to understand where these come from in the scriptures. You need to write them down. You need to write them in your life. These are truths that you need to have in your life every single day if you're going to walk with Jesus. What do I keep saying? Hey, we're just a group of people learning how to follow Jesus, right? Well, you need to understand this truth. When we're talking today about justification, it's all through the scriptures. Don't let that word bother you. We're going to talk about it a little bit more here in a minute. Don't let that word bother you. But it's all through scriptures. It's such a profound truth. It should be incorporated in your life every single day as you walk with our God. It's so important. So important that in chapter 1 and verse 15, a lot of people start in verse 16, but you got to start in verse 15. I know in your Bible it's probably broken up or like, hey, Greg, that's in the previous section. Ignore that. It's part of the scripture. It's part of Paul's writing. Paul says in verse 15, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I love that. I love the intensity. I want you to feel his excitement. Like Paul's like, hey, I'm ready to come to Rome. I'm ready to preach the gospel. I'm ready to preach it to you, those who are in Rome. Why? Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Don't you love it? Man, it just rails you up. We're all like, oh, we're going to go out here and just go share the gospel because we're so, so excited. Paul says, hey, man, I'm coming to Rome and I'm going to preach the gospel. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why are you not ashamed of the gospel? Notice the word for. Every time he's doing for, he's explaining why he just said what he said. And what does he say next? For it is the power of God unto salvation, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. You hear that? Paul is going like, hey, I'm ready to come preach the gospel. Why, Paul? Because I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why aren't you ashamed? Because it's a power of God and the salvation. There is no other message. I've said this before. There's no other message you can preach that is more important than the gospel. There's none. 
There's not a message you can share. There isn't a person you will ever meet who doesn't need to hear the gospel. And Paul's like, hey, I'm ready to come. That's great, Paul. Verse 17, for he's explaining it, the power of God unto salvation, for in it, in the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is saying, hey, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Hallelujah. That God's righteousness is made known faith to faith. What? The righteous shall live by faith. What did he just say back in chapter one? Of ver- I mean, chapter five, verse one. That we are justified by faith, right? You see, if you're going to have righteousness in your life, it's going to come through faith. It doesn't say justified by a whole lot of knowledge. It doesn't say justified by all these things you accomplished. It doesn't say justified because you look really good. You got a bunch of resources. It says you're justified by faith. And it tells us here, Paul is telling us that this gospel that he's ready to preach, the righteousness has, got, has been revealed, and, and the righteous person, that righteous person is going to live by faith. We got to incorporate faith into our life. We all wish it just kind of stopped there, right? Because then we walk into verse 18. For, where but can be there in some of your translations, the wrath of God, what's it say? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I always tell people, if you want to run from God, I guess go do a whole bunch of righteousness because that suppresses the truth of God. But why would we want to suppress truth when we want to know truth? If you want to know truth, know God. Isn't it interesting here too, because what the picture is, as God reveals his righteousness in the gospel, what does he do? He also reveals his attitude towards unrighteousness. We saw it last week, didn't we? In Ephesians chapter two, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We talked about that condition that we were in, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Same picture here, that the righteousness of God has been revealed but also the wrath of God has been revealed against all unrighteousness. In fact, he goes on, he keeps explaining, verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. What? They know it, folks. You know it. Because God has shown it to them. Verse 24, the his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. We could go on. In the picture, in fact, verses 18, all the way down to the end of chapter one here, Paul is describing those people who have rebelled against God, who have chosen their own way, who have chosen to live according to the flesh, the, the, the desires of their mind and the desires of the flesh. They have rejected God and they've done, they've done what they've wanted to do in their own sight. And all those things that you see in there that God turns them over to their own way of thinking, all of those things are a result of that lifestyle. In fact, he goes down in verse 32. He says, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. I wrote in my Bible somewhere along the line, the majority never trump God's righteousness. Uh, Young people, you need to learn this. 
Just because the majority out there thinks something, it does not trump truth. It doesn't deny truth. Truth is truth. And we might be the minority, but we stand in truth, and that truth reveals the righteousness of God, and it's the righteousness of God we put our faith in and therefore experience his grace and his mercy. Regardless of what the world does when it's trying to redefine who God is, trying to redefine sin, trying to redefine the law, that somehow they would find themselves righteous. But righteousness doesn't come that way. Paul's teaching us that. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 1, he goes on, Therefore you, uh, you have no excuse, old man, every one of you who judges for in the passing judgment, for in passing judgment on Another, you condemn yourselves because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves that you will escape the judgment of God? All of a sudden, they're like, oh, what are you talking about here, Paul? He's talking about those people who kind of look around and go, you know, you know, I'm a little better than Nate over there. I picked on Tamara last week. Sorry, Nate. <laughs> I'm a little better than they. I'm, a, oh Tim, you know I'm, you know I'm, I think I'll, I'll kind of beat him out, and yeah, you know, and I, you start, we start looking around, and we're judging them because we're saying we're better than, because we're resting in our goodness, in our good works, and Paul's describing that person and how, hey, do you, how are you who do the same things? You're going to escape the judgment of God? No, you're not. In fact, he goes all the way down through verse 16. I think talking about those things in verse 17 he says but if you call yourself a Jew he begins to talk about the Jewish person you know the Jews who were the people of God the chosen nation the Jews who were confident because of their nationality that God would not leave them they were confident in their own nationality their own who they were as a Jew that surely they would be saved and Paul begins to to build that argument, though the law came through them and they were to be teachers, but they were really the blind leading the blind. And he gets down into chapter three in verse nine. And he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off because we're Jews? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greek, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands no one seeks out for God. Man, Paul just brings it right down and he continues on in this process of thinking, explaining it, whether you're seeking, you're just totally ignoring God, seeking your own way, where you're someone who thinks you're good enough, you're, you're surely gonna outweigh, outweigh everybody else and God's gonna let you in heaven because you're kind of better than some of the others. Or you're that person that thinks because, hey, I'm a Jew, I'm gonna make it in. Paul's teaching us none of that works because we all fall under the condemnation of sin. And he goes on in verse 19 of chapter three and he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So one purpose of the law is to hold us accountable. We don't like that, but it's the reality it holds us accountable. Verse 24, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The purpose of the law was to show us our shortcomings. 
Show us our iniquities. But there's a phrase in there that I'm sure in the Jewish mind just blew them away when he says, when he said, um, no human being will be justified in his sight by the law. None. None. Paul is bringing us to an understanding that justification, we're being righteous, is not found through works. That's why he says in verse 21, he says, but of chapter 3, but now the righteousness of God. Remember back in verse 17, the righteousness of God being revealed from faith to faith. He's continuing this right here. He's picking it up again. He's just explained to us all the ones who, who have been thinking through this other way that we're going to reach God. And he destroys the, the false gospel of works. And now he's going to lead them into the path where they would begin to understand but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Whoa. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ for all those who what? Believe. For there is no distinction, Jew or Gentile. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We usually just like quoting that one verse, but it's in the argumentation of him showing us that salvation is only through faith in Christ. That our works is never enough. You have to ask the question, how much? How much is enough? And when we are confident in ourselves and our abilities, it is always short. And then he goes on, verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show what? God's righteousness. You see it? He's still, he's still going back to chapter one, the righteousness of God being revealed. He's teaching us how the righteousness of God is being revealed in the gospel. Because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness, there it is again, his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of those who has faith in Christ or in Jesus then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Verse 28, and really, he's, in my mind, he's concluding this section at this point. For we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Man, it's by faith. And so what Paul does here, he continues his argument. He gets into chapter four. He goes back to Abraham. Now, Abraham was before the law was given. And, it, and he's telling us about Abraham. And what in verse three of, of chapter four, he tells us that Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him righteousness. Well, wait a second. How was Abraham righteous if it was before the law? By faith. By faith. And he continues that whole argumentation in chapter 4, and then he gets to the, the section right before our passage today, beginning in verse 22, that is when it says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake only. Hear that? It wasn't just written for Abraham's sake, but for ours also. It will be counted to us. What? 
It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Amen, 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 hallelujah. Come on, people. Man. I don't want to be the only excited one in the room. Uh, I feel like I roll up, if I had long sleeves, I'd be rolling up my sleeves right now. Hallelujah. Righteousness. That's why he says, therefore, in light of this argument, everything he's just said, I'm ready to come preach the gospel. Why? Because I'm not ashamed. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. Why? Because the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith because the righteous shall live by faith. And he goes through all of that. Abraham believed by faith. It was imputed to him righteousness. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Hallelujah. Man, what has God done for us? It's amazing to me. It's not a past act in the sense of just something that happened and and all. It is a certainty that God has declared us righteous. Now, I want us to be clear something. Listen to me, dear people of God. Listen, let's be clear about what justification is. You got to get this. If you don't know this, you got to get it. You got to take it into your life every day. You've got to understand the scriptures is full about what the justification is in our lives and what it means. You need to be a student of God's word right now. Right now, you need to understand this. You need to incorporate it in your life. If we're going to learn how to follow Jesus, you need to understand justification. You need to understand this truth. You got to get it. So you ready? Listen to it. I, I've got a quote up here that I think does a good job of describing justifications by Wayne Gurdon. It says this, an instantaneous legal act of God. Now I want to stop there. It's instantaneous. It's not a process. It's not something you went in and you purchased. It's an instantaneous action. And here it tells us it's a legal act. Think of a courtroom. It's a legal act of God in which he, God, thinks of our sin as forgiven and Christ's righteousness is belonging to us. I want to stop there. Oh, boy. I mean, think about what I just read. Did you catch it? God thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. Remember the great exchange? You've heard me talk about it a few times. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be made in the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It's a picture whereby when we received Christ, when we placed our faith in Christ and the actions that he did and this work that he did, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and God judging sin in Christ on the cross, being fully satisfied that when God did that, and, we, and, he de- and his death and his resurrection, that when we place our faith in him, we receive that grace into our life. You didn't earn it. I don't care how many times you walk through the door. I don't care how much you put in the plate. I don't care how many hours you volunteer. I don't care how much you know in the Bible. It's by faith. It's simply by faith. And you, man, you kind of like, wow, God. I mean, like, hey, that doesn't seem fair. I mean, he gets my sin, Jesus, and I get his righteousness. 
I mean, that doesn't seem very fair. And God's like, I know, I love you so much. This is what I do. Is it amazing? He just sees us in the righteousness of Christ. It just blows me away. The second thing that Wayne Gurdon says here is, and declares us to be righteous in his sight. Think about that. Before Jesus, guilty, deserving death. After Jesus, faith in Jesus after him, righteousness. Wow. I mean, it just changes everything. It's like, it's like God slams the gavel down and he says, innocent, hallelujah, righteous. Can you believe that? It's like he says, I'm sentencing you to spend eternity with me in glory because of the righteousness of Christ. Do you see it? He calls us innocent. He calls us righteous. And he no longer sees us in our sin. He no longer sees us in our sin. That's still, though I've been walking with God for many years, that's still an amazing statement to me. Because, you know, my adversary, Satan himself, he'll come along and he'll tell me things like, you know, God doesn't really care. He doesn't mean good for me. God doesn't really love you. When I go through things and it doesn't work out the way I hoped, it seems like more pain, more agony comes sometimes. You know, and my adversary comes along and he says, God doesn't really care about you. Or our culture, culture tells us we're foolish to believe in these things, foolish to have faith. Why, why are you doing that? I'm, I'm set free. I'm seeking myself. I'm doing all those things of myself. Yeah, you know. And we hear those things and we begin to think the grass is greener on the other side. We think there's more water over there, better mountains. And we continue to pursue and pursue. We begin to hear the accusations of our culture. Not only that, but then I begin to accuse myself. I begin to think, man, why would, why would God use me? My adversary is really good at reminding me of the wickedness I've done. And faith steps in and faith goes, no, you've been declared righteous. God doesn't see you in your sin. He sees you in the righteousness of Christ. He sees you as innocent because of what Christ has done. You know how that radically changes your walk with God? You know how it changes the way you perceive God at work in your life? You know why it's such a profound truth that every believer needs to incorporate in his life daily? Do you grab it? Do you hear it? Dear people of God, hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is a profound truth and we're saved by faith. It's from unbelief of chapter one, verse 18, all the way through that chapter three, but God has delivered us and by faith that those who would be faith, believe in him, he would count it unto them righteousness. That's what he says in verse five of chapter four. He says, 
And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And faith says no, no. You know, right now the Holy Spirit is teaching us through the Apostle Paul and his writings. He's destroying the false gospel of works, the self-sufficiency that we try to produce in our lives. The Holy Spirit right now is teaching you how to follow after Jesus and the righteousness that is found in only Christ by faith. Apostle Paul was so clear in Galatians, a book that was written to combat the gospel of works. Apostle Paul there says that if anyone preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. And then he turns around and says it again in the next verse in Galatians 1. He says it again, if anyone preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. And Paul's saying, hey, look, if we, including himself, if I come and I preach another gospel than what's been preached, if the angel comes and preaches another gospel, let him be accursed because this is the gospel that we receive by faith, faith alone, and the work that Christ has done. Are you this morning, are you resting on the work of Jesus in your life? You give him your life, not just part, not just a little bit, not just kind of adding Jesus to your life, but is he your life? Jesus is everything. He's everything. It's a total reliance on Jesus. Wow. We could go on and on. I'm just going to go real quick here. The last next verse there in verse one, the next phrase, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a feeling of peace that he's talking about. It's a state of peace. And it implies this idea that we were once hostile with God. You know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about uh, Lydia and I just got a couple acres and she's planting plants all over the place. All right. But I started thinking, you know, if somebody came onto our property and they were like, you know, these plants aren't good here. And they start digging them up and putting them here. And, you know, I don't like the way you, tre- you trimmed your trees. So they just start trimming our trees. They go to my shop. You know, I, I don't like that color. So they start painting my shop. You know, it would kind of create a little bit of a hostile environment, wouldn't it? Relationship. If you know me, you know I would have a lot to say in that moment. Right? But that's what we did to God. In God's righteousness, we were like, oh, no, I'd rather live this way. We began to trespass against his, his righteousness and his holiness because we determined our own way and we lived by the desires of our own minds and our desires of our own flesh. And we were, became hostile to him. But when we receive Christ in our life, we now have peace with God and it's a state of peace where we're no longer hostile with him because he has made us righteous through his son, Jesus Christ, by faith. Wow. God fully judge sin on Christ on the cross as our substitute. God was so fully satisfied with the work of Christ, he will eternally remain so. Never taking up the judgment of our sins again. Yeah, there should be a hallelujah, amen, or something there. Verse two, through him we have obtained access by faith. There it is again, into the grace in which we stand. 
When he's saying this, he's saying that we now have been declared righteous, we're justified by faith, enables God to deal with us, not in accordance with or on the basis of our works, but in accordance with or on the basis of grace. We're no longer in the realm of performance. We are now in the realm of grace in which God deals with us. It doesn't give us grace that we go live however we want. It's the understanding the power of grace to now change us to who we are more like Christ. That's why I always say so many times when I'm dealing with iniquity and I see it in my life, which is often, and I have to remind myself that isn't who I am anymore. That's not who I am. And God changes my heart. It's living by grace. It's living by faith each and every day. It's every step that you take, step by step by step by faith, believing in the righteousness of Christ, that you've placed your faith in him, walking by that faith, walking by that grace. I'll tell you what, if you understand this simple principle right here, it will change how you look at your neighbor too. You will bestow upon them grace and the message of the gospel instead of condemn them in the righteousness that you think is the law. It's, it's a powerful, powerful truth that we would grow in this journey of faith, this journey of walking and learning to follow after Jesus is such a joy. When you begin to see how God works and changes, I take joy when I see myself responding in a different way, because I know that it's Christ changing me. What a joy that is. What a joy. To God be the glory. And then the very last phrase of verse 2, he says, And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That word rejoice means to exalt in, to glory in, to boast in. It literally has the idea that everything that I have, everything that I am, I'm going to boast in Christ because I rest and I depend on the work of Christ. And my hope of being with him and glory for eternity with him, my hope, that confident expectation I have in him, that faith I have in him, that confidence to be in his presence, that I'm gonna boast in him. I'm gonna boast in him. To God be the glory. I wanna finish with, um, with a slide because I think it's so neat in this slide how the five solas came, come together in our passage today. First of all, it's in the context of the scriptures alone. We know this and we learn this because of the scriptures. The scriptures instruct us in these things. But then notice, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, faith alone, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ alone. Through him we have also obtained Access by faith, faith alone, into this grace. We talked about grace alone, in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, to the glory of God alone. We'll look at that next week. Right there, right there, there's the gospel. In fact, I believe Paul continues to teach on the, on the absolute incredibleness of the gospel as he continues on in the book of Romans. This is only one little piece out of that great book. And some of you that have studied Romans are like, Craig, you're going too fast through these verses. There's such amazing truth here. Yes, there is. Go study it and learn it. Don't just learn it from me. You, you study God's word. You learn his word. You become a student of his word. 
that you may know the riches and the glories and the presence of our God in our lives and how he works. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, just speak to us, your people. Let us, Father, not wander about or go about, Father, in our own iniquities, our own righteousness. But, Father, let us be a people of faith. Let us rejoice that we have been justified, that we have been redeemed. Oh, God, to you be the glory and the praise forever and ever. Oh, God, to you. You are worthy of our complete and total surrender. You are worthy, God. As we'll see next week, instruct our hearts even next week that we understand your glory. Father, be with us this week. Those that are here this morning that need to be encouraged, Father, I pray that they were encouraged. Those who have began to wander away, I pray your spirit would move in their hearts and call them back. Lord, have your way with us. Speak to us the things that you know we need to know. In Jesus' name, amen.